Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello and welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I hope you're having an incredible week. This is your host, Jason Day, and we have a great episode for you as I am joined by J.P. Pacluda. J.P. is teaching pastor at Watermark Community Church in Texas and has served for the past 12 years as the leader of The Porch, which is an influential gathering of thousands of young adults who come together to hear the gospel, grow in Jesus, and get equipped for kingdom purposes. J.P. recently released a new book entitled Welcome to Adulting, Navigating Faith, Friendship, Finances, and the Future. Now, on this week's episode, J.P. and I talk about how pastors and ministry leaders can better help young people as they transition into adult life. J.P. shares practical steps we can take to be sure we are assisting in positive ways, including three critical elements pastors need to effectively reach young adults. We also discuss some of the important issues young people are wrestling with, such as authority, isolation, and uncertainty. And I've got to tell you, this is a super helpful conversation about a topic we definitely cannot overlook in ministry. So please join me in my conversation with J.P. Pakluda. J.P., welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So good to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me on. Excited to be with you guys. Awesome. Now, J.P., we're going to spend some time today talking about how churches can help young people better transition into adult life. And you have a very helpful book that's written to young adults called Welcome to Adulting, Navigating Faith, Friendship, Finances, and the Future. It's a great book. Um, I could have used this book about 20 years ago myself. But before we jump in, can you share with us a bit about your ministry at Watermark Community Church and The Porch? Yeah, absolutely. Let me say this up front. When I listen to podcasts, if somebody's like, oh, and you, you know, you lead with the book and you think, oh, well, that's why they're on there. And I would just say, hey, I don't, I really don't give a rip if somebody buys the book. God's done incredible things through that. My heart is to help churches reach the next generation. And so I just say, hey, if you're not reaching the, the, the future of your church, your church has no future, which has a little bit of bite to it. But my heart, if we just think about it, it's a math problem. Like we got to think about the future. And so I've been doing the porch for uh, 12 years now. It's a young adult ministry. I've seen it grow from 100 people to um, 3,600 will gather in Dallas here on Tuesday. And then we have 10 campuses around the country. And so nearly, you know, 100,000 people consuming that content, hearing the gospel, teaching from the scriptures. And I've been on Watermark for staff for 12 years. And so Watermark, we have four campuses. I'm the campus pastor here in Dallas and a teaching pastor uh, of, of our weekend services as well. And so uh, the porch is a ministry geared toward 20 and 30 somethings. Uh, the millennials kind of being the sweet spot of that uh, predominantly single and it looks like just teaching from the scriptures. Uh, we have Shane and Shane leading worship, a, kind of a church service, but it's not a church service. It really is a front door to the church. And so we we say, hey, we don't want to supplement the church. Don't come here instead of church. Uh, come here in addition to or to help you find a church home. That really is our heart. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And I love the way that you talk about the porch in the fact that it's it's not something to replace church. So that's real, right. real quickly, how has that gone? As young people are coming in, has it served as a porch and an entryway into the church? Have you seen that? Um, kind of share with us a little bit about uh, that experience of actually helping uh, young people transition into, you know, 
what we would consider maybe regular uh, a ch- regular church rhythm. Yeah, so we're so passionate about that. That's a vision we keep in front of them, Jason. And so the porch in the 50s was a place where you could hang out and fellowship. Uh, it was right there on the front of the house. It was to be a place where you date, but not like in the backseat of a, of a car or the back of a movie theater. There was a level of authenticity to it. And so anybody that was walking by could see the relationship. And likewise, from the porch, you could see the city. You could see if like a house was on fire or if a kid went by on his bicycle or an ambulance goes by, uh, you, you would know what was going on in the city. I want to see the needs of our city and meet the needs of the city. But first and foremost, the porch was this thing that you would walk over to get inside the home. And so uh, we want to be a front door to the church. And so I believe that we are, uh, God has allowed us to be the, the largest entry point into Watermark, but also we serve the city. And so about half of the people there go to Watermark, about half the people there go to other churches. And then a, a smaller demographic, and I know, know my math doesn't add up, so it's a little less than half, a little less than half, and then about 20% have no church homes. And so this is kind of their first entry point into anything, uh, any flavor of Christianity. And we're constantly calling them, hey, we want to see you be under the authority of elders. We want to see you belong to a church. And it's it's worked really well as kind of this conveyor belt process of as they come in, it's a it's a really safe place to invite your friends on a Tuesday night. Uh, it's, it's the biggest party in town, if you will, and you come in. And and you hear the Bible, you grow an interest in Jesus, and we we really serve you, the church. We say, hey, the next step is for you to become a part of a church, a local body. And so that's that's worked really well for us. That's awesome, brother. I love, I love to hear that story. I, I love to hear the imagery, you know, and the intentionality in, in even calling it the porch and just how you explain that. That's, that's awesome, brother. Now, um, so obviously, JP, you have a pretty good handle on what young adults are facing. I mean, you've been you've been doing this for 12 years now. Um, you you kind of understand what questions they're wrestling with the most, what hangups that they're encountering. Um, in your book, I notice you dedicate an entire chapter to the issue of authority, and you write about freedom and what true freedom is and what freedom under authority looks like. And so I was just curious, JP, why do you think young people struggle with this notion um, of freedom and and authority? Yeah, I think we all want to be the boss. It's a, it is a natural inclination of our heart. We see it first in in Satan, the fallen angel, of, or Lucifer, just that he doesn't want to worship God. He wants to be God. And then you see it in Adam and Eve in the garden where God gives them one instruction and they they struggle to, you know, submit to that authority. They they want to be like God. And that's what that was the tempt. Hey, if you eat this, you can be like God. And so for the rest of our lives in this fallen world, we desire to be like God rather than to submit to any authority that God has established. And so the three main ones are the government, your employer or your boss, uh, and then the church. And so you, what you hear is, you know, people really rebelling against the government, you know, justifying that in, in some way. You see people wanting to be the boss or criticizing their boss, coming up with memes that just, you know, how they hate their work. And then you see people um, consuming content in church, consumers rather than Christians. Hey, I go to this pastor for this, and I podcast this guy for this, and this guy for this, and this guy for this, rather than hey, sitting under the authority of a place. And, and they'll leave church because they don't like you know, the flavor of coffee that's being served. And so I think uh, what that does is it really stunts our growth. 
that growth happens when we're uncomfortable and when we sit under an authority knowing that all authority is in some way corrupt, all authority is imperfect, but when we learn to coexist with that authority, serve under the authority, uh, we, we really grow like Christ. And you think about what the scriptures speak into, like Titus 2.10, for example. It's really like, hey, listen to your harsh employer so that you make the teachings of Christ our Savior more attractive. And the, you, we see the same theme in Colossians 3 and, and, and throughout First Peter, First and Second Peter. And so this is something really important that the gospel travels on, is us being great at what we do under an imperfect uh, authority. Yeah, that's good. Let, let's dig a little more into authority in regard to the church. And as, you know, we're thinking about it from the perspective of the pastor, right, or ministry leaders— uh, what do we as pastors and ministry leaders need to really understand about young people today when it comes to authority in the church? Well, that's what's great about that idea to want to be God is and and to want to, you know, be unleashed is, you know, we can work with that because where I think pastors uh, miss it with millennials is is they lower the bar. Um, they lower the ask of them. And then they try to keep them under their control. And I think what these guys want is they want to respond to a big ask. They want you to ask something huge of them. And then they want you to deploy them. And and so that would be if I could if I could maybe tangent for just a moment, there's three things that I would say to church leaders in regards to reaching millennials that I think overlaps this. May I may I expound on those yeah, three please, things? Yeah, please, please. And so the, the first one would be, to, uh, we've touched on it, but to lead with authenticity. And I would just say they don't want to follow a replica of their favorite celebrity pastor. They don't want to hear how righteous and perfect you are. They want to know that you have struggled or struggle just like they do, and they want to know that you're not pretending up there, and so you need to be honest with what's what's going on in your world. If you got in a fight with your wife, talk about that. If you if you clicked on a hashtag you shouldn't have, maybe start your message with that. And uh, and I think you're going to see them respond to that level of authenticity because they've been turned off by the church where they had to come in and pretend like they had it all together. So lead with authenticity. The second one is to expand their vision. If you the the biggest mistake I see people make in trying to reach millennials or young adults is they lower the bar like, oh, will you please show up and please serve here and please hold this door and, you know, we're having such a hard time finding volunteers. Don't do that. That's a that's a huge mistake. You say, hey, you what did Jesus do? He said, come and die. Pick up your cross and follow me. Well, first, let me go bury my dad. Let the dead bury the dead. You, you follow me. No one who puts a hand to plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. Hey, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. I mean, Jesus had these huge asks of people, and they they left everything. Peter says, you know, we've left all we had to follow you. Of course you did, because it's Jesus, and he's a worthy of your, of your life, you know? And when you do that, as a representative of Jesus, you say, hey, no, come and die. Come and serve here. Be bivocational. Uh, I'm going to ask you to, to spend your vacation on going overseas with us. These people will, will respond to that vision, and so expand their vision. And then thirdly, and this gets to your question directly, is deploy them. 
If you take this idea that they want to be in charge and you say, okay, here's the area that you can be in charge of. I'm not going to do ministry to people, but through people. And you take these millennials and you say, okay, now we we want you to do ministry. Come with me to this meeting that otherwise would have been confidential, but I'm going to bring you on. We're going to call it pastor training. I want you to see me minister to someone who is suicidal. I want you to see me minister to somebody who is cutting themselves. I want you to see me minister to somebody who is contemplating having an abortion. You you come with me and we follow that model of, you know, I do it, you watch, we do it together, you do it, I watch, now you go do it. I'm, you are now a pastor, you are part of the royal priesthood. And so with our leaders at the porch, we give them a budget, uh, we we have them lead ministries, they are essentially like elders, they're bivocational. These are people that corporate America is exploiting their gifts, you know, for profitability. And so we say, no, God gave you those gifts for the church, so use them here. And they're really responding that to, to give it to you again, lead with authenticity expand their vision and deploy them yeah I, lo- I love that brother now let's um talk a little bit about how do you go about I'm thinking like from a local church perspective now obviously uh, majority of churches in the US aren't huge churches right so I'm thinking of um, just a, a typical church in the US you know pastors are listening in right now and they're thinking about what you've just shared how might they begin this process of uh, really deploying them. Um, yeah. What what might that look like? It sounds like you have um, you have a, a a system of some sort in place where you yeah. are helping develop these leaders and then, like you said, giving them things. What could um, a, a typical local church begin doing when it comes to deploying these young leaders? Well, let me. I, I'm not an expert, Jason. I, I don't presume to know all the answers, but I'd love to share just my journey and the story of of how I did it, and I've seen God blessed. And if there's something that's uh, transferable, I would encourage pastors to pick up on it. But I, I came into a church of 100 people. And so the porch, when I, it was handed to me, it was 100 people. And so if you have a church of 100 people or somewhere around there, a little less, a little more, that that's where I was. And the biggest thing that I observed within this church of 100 people was where the volunteers were discouraged. And the way that they were discouraged was it would, it would be like you'd show up on, on a Tuesday night, the equivalent of a Sunday morning, and, uh, and it would be like, okay, you go stand at doors, you help people, you, you be a greeter, you be an usher, you help people find their seats, uh, you stand at the welcome center in case anybody has a question, and you go in the parking lot and just make sure people know what doors to walk in. And that was the vision. And, and it was just kind of like, you know, hey, let's pray, ready, break. Now everybody go to those stations. And you show up Tuesday and you find out what your, you know, what your service opportunity was, <laughs> you know, to stand at an elevator or stand at a door. And so I had this meeting. And it was just like a, this Holy Spirit moment where I was just like, man, if you're here, how many of you want to be greeters? Raise your hand. And like half the room raised their hand. I'm like, hey, with all due respect, we no longer have that position. You have you have been relieved of your position. You, you're welcome to go hold babies in the nursery or to serve somewhere else. But we don't need greeters here at the porch anymore. Now, how many of you want to be ushers? And it was almost like they were like, okay, well, maybe that's what he's looking for. And so another half raised their hands. <laughs> and I just said, hey, with all due respect, we no longer need ushers. You're relieved of that service opportunity. You know, Please go serve somewhere else. We don't need you anymore. I said, here's the deal, guys. We need missionaries and evangelists. 
Okay, we need people who will stand at the door, who will leave their station if they see somebody's alone, something's going through. We need people who will will biblically counsel somebody who's considering taking their life, who who had an abortion yesterday and they came here looking for hope. We need those kinds of ministers, and we don't need people just to help them find their seats. You know, ushers. We need pastors that will walk alongside them, who will sit with them, who will engage with them after the service, ask them what they learned, ask them, uh, you know, where they're at with Jesus, share the gospel, share their story in 30 seconds, three minutes, or 30 minutes, pointing to Christ. We need those kinds of volunteers, those kinds of leaders. And so if that's not who you are, we no longer need you serving here. And they meekly said, well, well JP, we'd love to do that, but, uh, but I mean, we don't know how. Oh, man, no problem. We'll train you. We'll train you. No, I'm not saying that if you don't know how, we will absolutely train you. And they, you know, it was crazy, Jason, what they did. Before that moment, I was begging people to come and volunteer with us. But after raising that bar and saying, hey, we really want this, what they heard in their minds is they're like, you'll disciple us? Mm. You'll pour into us? You'll invest in us? Man, we are all in. Like, we, we are all in. And after that, hundreds and hundreds, literally, people are lined up at the door, want to serve. We had to create another team basically to be a holding tank, like a porch university, for them to come on for two months to be trained and to learn about the ministry before we placed them on a team to respond to the demand of how many volunteers wanted to jump in with us. And so I think no matter how big your church is, you know, whether it's it's 20 people or 20,000 people, uh, the proverb says where there is no vision, the people perish. And so you got to start with vision, calling them to something just like Jesus did and and then giving them opportunities to fail. You can do that at any size. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's it's the whole idea, you know, of of not just um, filling a void and, you know, having a person kind of step in just to kind of go through some sort of a mechanical, you know, duty around the church, but it's the whole idea of, like you said, you know, you're literally commissioning missionaries and evangelists and people to get into the nitty gritty of life and, and what that means to live out the kingdom in relationship with others. So that, that's super powerful. I, I love that. And uh, like you said, I think that's, that's something that we as pastors, no matter the size of our church, we can take that on and begin to look at how is it that we, um, like you said, raise that bar and invite them into something bigger and something deeper powerful stuff. One of the things that you spend some time talking about is uh, relationships. And and specifically, you differentiate between uh, friends and community. Can you kind of talk to us as ministry leaders about kind of the difference between friends and community, how young people are kind of viewing that? And again, how can we as the church help foster that community? Yeah, I think so. You know, we are Watermark Community Church. We say community is our middle names, cheesy cliche, but <laughs> I mean, we we've gone all in. We've bet the farm, if you will, on this idea of community, and uh, it is it is we we sh- that our elders. There's five of them, and they shepherd a church of twenty thousand people. And the way that they do that is through the people, and it's it's the Exodus 18 model where you see Moses with his father-in-law Jethro. Jethro just said, Moses, you can't you can't shepherd all these people. You need to break them up into smaller tribes and then place people over those tribes. And so that's what we've done here by way of community group. We say we're one church with four campuses and thousands of locations. 
because the thousands of locations are those community groups that are meeting on a regular basis. They are the ones that are going to visit you in the hospital. They are the ones that are, are going to help you make rent. They are the ones that are going to celebrate your victories and help bear your burdens. And this is how, you know, the, the pastor is not trying to get out of a job, but it really is the pastor's job to equip the people because we're all a part of the royal priesthood. And so for the, for the young adult, the, that's kind of to the ministry leader, to the young adult, you know, they have lots of friends. It's, it's just the error of social media, you know, you know, Twitter followers and whatnot. And so they, they're like, oh, these are the, my friends, my acquaintances, people that know me. I'm just like, but you have to have a smaller group of people that they, they really know you, that you're confessing sin to on a regular basis, that you are celebrating the, the victories that God's Holy Spirit has allowed you to, to you know, uh, encounter that you are talking openly about the struggles that you had, that that's, that's happening on a week, you know, who you're sharing the gospel with, that you're praying through those people together collectively. James 5.16 says that we're to confess our sins to each other and, and pray for each other because the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And so living in that context of community, and that what we say just as a mega church is the bigger we get, the smaller we must become. And so that's, you know, that's if if you're at a smaller church, you know, the the problems may be different, but we're really trying to, to maintain smaller church problems by continuing to push people to that that community group. When I say community group, think home group, cell group, you know, uh, small group, whatever you call them, but we call them here community groups. And so that's really that heartbeat behind community. Yeah, JP, it um, sounds like there's a, a theme here going because it's not, and, and that theme is kind of, you know, calling people to something deeper. So, because, yeah. you know, touched on that when it comes to, you know, really serving and engaging in kingdom purposes, you know, calling them to something deeper. And now we're talking about community. Um, again, it sounds like it's this this whole idea of encouraging them to go go more deeply in relationships, go more deeply in um, living out God's purpose in their lives. You know, it's, it's interesting because oftentimes we hear conversations about, you know, that young adults tend to be, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this is this is right. This is just kind of things that are bantered around, tend to be more kind of shallow when it comes to relationships because they have so many connections digitally. And so how have you found that to be true or untrue? I mean, are, are young people really struggling with deeper relationships? Is that why the church is so important? And if so, how is it that um, you are helping them transition from, you know, into these kind of deeper relationships? Yeah, there's, you know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And so I think we do more than ever try to supplement real relationships with fake. And I, this is only going to be a growing problem with with the, the boom of artificial intelligence as AI shows up on the scene, mm-hmm. virtual reality. You know, I, I really think the landscape of the church is going to change tremendously over the next two decades. But there will be no supplement. There will be no replacement for the depth of relationships that that God calls us to in Christ, and where you just see repeatedly in Philippians 2, in Ephesians chapter 4, just this idea of one 
body, one spirit, unity coming together. And, uh, you know, even in Acts 2, you know, having everything in common, uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of the bread and the fellowship of one another, that we're not going to be able to replace that. And I think as we do try to replace that, we're going to experience death, the highest levels of depression that we've ever seen, deep, deep despair in a culture. And so the church has to be a place where we continue to facilitate real conversations and depth of a relationship. And that will never that can never ever go away. And so I, I think it's I don't know that it's any more complicated than that is just providing places where people can come and talk and build relationship with one another with Christ at the center of that. And that was always my dream for the porch is, you know, I, I was a guy 16 years ago. I stumbled into a church because somebody invited me when I was in a bar. I came hungover smelling like smoke from the night before and um, began to wrestle with who is Christ. And so when I realized who Jesus was and he changed my life radically, I trusted in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins, everything changed. And I really, when I came into vocational ministry, I really wanted to provide a different place, a third space, if you will, from the club, from the bar, you know, from the $2 margaritas or the the drink specials of happy hour of that day to come into this place. And, and we're not going to bore you with church. We're going to inspire you with Jesus. Mm. And as that happens and, and people are inspired together, relationships are built. And so I, I think that's the heartbeat of a lot of what we do. That's great, brother. Uh, could you, as you're talking, I was just thinking, could you share uh, maybe a, a few practical examples of how you, how you structure things or exactly what you do to help um, people move beyond, like you said, not just be bored with church, but be inspired by, by Jesus? As far as being inspired, listen, Jesus is inspiring. And so I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how, I mean, this is transferable and practical and, and hopefully inspirational. But I mean, we, we teach the scriptures, we put the theology on the top shelf and uh, we surround them with people where it's a safe place to ask questions. But when you show up on a Tuesday, we're teaching through the Bible. I mean, I may be moving through the book of Philippians, or if I'm teaching a dating series, I'm opening up Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, you know, 1 Peter 3. I'm, I'm teaching from the Word of God, expounding upon the Scriptures. We we share stories of life change. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's what Jesus would, when Jesus would talk and teach, he would talk about stories. And so we're just surrounded by stories of people whose lives have been changed by Christ. And so we give them opportunities and platforms, whether it's live or through video or through social media or online, we give them opportunities to share their story. This is what Jesus has done for me. And people are inspired by that because they're hearing stories that are like theirs. Like what you were, you had six abortions and, you know, and, and I didn't I, I hadn't, you know, the, somebody might be thinking I had an abortion, but I'm, I never was going to tell anybody. Mm. You know, and when the pastor gets up there and talks about his own. Listen, I was a sex addict. I was addicted to pornography. I was enslaved to it for for over a decade. That They're like, I can't believe that guy on stage just said the, the word pornography. And so that authenticity that I talked about earlier, I mean, that's something that moves them toward. Because it's so crazy, right? Jesus frees us from our sin. He paid the price for our sins. And it's not like he he said then, and now I never want you to talk about it. You know, that's crazy. What he does is he takes our mess and he makes it our message. He takes our mess and he makes it our ministry. So that, you know, the girl that I think of that, that actually had an abortion, 
and then she became a Christian, and and then she thought she'd never be able to say that word. And when she said it out loud, what God did is he built a ministry around her ministering to women who had abortions. Like that's just what God does is he takes what you know the enemy meant for evil and he is able to use it for good. And um, and so we 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 display that, and I think that that Jesus does that is inspiring in and of itself. That's awesome. Okay, you 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 kind of cued this up a little bit. So facilitating um, deeper relationships. Why don't you why don't you share some some yeah. practical things that you guys are doing to help do that? Yeah. So you know um, we do what's called porch late night, and so there's a team. They're called Next Steps, and uh, that that team is in charge of you know creating events outside the porch and outside of Watermark that are are just just they're just that they're you know they're it's dinners. Um, we've kind of outgrown dinners, so it's now it's like two-stepping or, uh, you know, they, they did like a fall festival, but for young adults, so don't think can't be cheesy. I mean, they do a really great job of making it fun and meaningful, and, and when people can't come, they, you know, they're glad they came. Because I think one thing, that, a mistake the church makes is over-promises and under-delivers. You know, they, they do everything, we, we do everything we can to get people there, and then when they're there, they're kind of like, eh, that was, <laughs> that was, that was kind of lame. And so we just, we never want to do that. You know, we, we... We want to under-promise and over-deliver uh, in excellence every time. And when you come into the porch afterwards, you can go to what's called open community group. And so guys go down one hallway, girls go down the other hallway. Inside that room uh, at the end of the hallway is a bunch of people just looking for community. And so we they hear a vision for what community is. And they can get into a group. We also do something, you know, that that's called group link. I think uh, North Point might have come up with that name, but it, it's just facilitating small groups. And uh, and then we have training days on the weekend where you know they can come and you know learn on a particular topic and and those sorts of things. I love how you guys are being so intentional, and and it seems like you're always in a learning process. Like you're always, you know, really trying to keep your thumb on the pulse and, and be as understanding as possible as to what's going on in the lives of, of young people, what's going on in the culture around that, and um, how that's evolving, and then how you as a church can in turn respond to that. Uh, would you say that's um, been a piece over the last 12 years since you've been there of of how you're going about ministry? I, I do think that's true, Jason. I, when I came in, you know, when they asked me to teach on a Tuesday, which was such a risk, you know, because it's like, what do I know about teaching? The <laughs> um, really, I feel like the only thing that I bought brought to the table was like, man, I know these people. I know who's showing up because I was them five years ago. I, re- I still remember what it was like to be single in Dallas, you know, with the struggles of the world and and everything that that we're surrounded by. And so I do think that we spent a lot of time studying you know, the, the souls that the Lord has entrusted to us and becoming students of them so that we can appropriately reach them. JP, young people tend to have a lot of uncertainty about the world in which we live and um, maybe some questions as to how it will unfold over the course of their lifetimes. As a pastor or as a church, how do we address these um, uncertainties, you know, really in a, in a way that, that doesn't minimize their concerns but mm-hmm. also helps them overcome um, living lives that might be plagued by, you know, by worry. Yeah. Well, look, I'm incredibly biased, but I, I've spent the the better part of the last uh, three years or so coming up with a resource called Welcome to Adulting, which is exactly that. I mean, the 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 second chapter is all about purpose. The first chapter is missing out. Um, we cover dating, uh, career calling in there, conflict resolution. 
living for something more. You know, it, the whole book is really a, a helping a 20-something a find their purpose, 20 or 30-something find their purpose. And so my, what, what has been happening, and I, I never anticipated this because I think too small and I don't realize how big God is, is just that churches, you know, around the country have been going through it together uh, with, you know, with their with their young adult ministry. And uh, I, that's a resource that is out there. I'm sure there's lots of great ones. That's that's the one that I, I'm near and dear to to and and know uh, a lot of. But we, you know, we all realize that what what you see in the news today are young people who've been created in the image of God. He knit, knitted them together in their mother's womb. He knows how many hairs are on their head, and they're just missing out on their purpose because they're living for themselves. And they just need some help. You know, somebody comes alongside them and says, hey, let me show you what you were created for. And they really respond to that. But the problem, Jason, is I think that we all go from being the younger brother to the older brother in the prodigal son story. Mm. And so God saves us. He reaches down into the miry pit, into the muck, and he puts us on a solid rock of his son, Jesus Christ. And he cleans us up and he gives us a hope for the future. And, and we were so grateful, our hearts are so thankful, but then almost overnight we grow to this older brother status where it's like, oh yeah, and now I don't have any patience for anybody who's lost in, in the miry pit, you know? And, and we forget that somebody was patient with us. Mm. And so every generation thinks that every generation behind them is the most narcissistic, you know, um, entitled, <laughs> laziest generation. That's what you see in the news. But if you look back, look, consider generation A, right? Uh, consider the disciples, the apostles who walked with Jesus. The number one question they asked him is, what's in it for me? Right. Uh, they, they said, who considered your right and your left and your glory? Uh, who's the greatest? It says nine times in the Gospels they argued amongst them of to who was the greatest. That's what they wanted to know. And then you look at Generation Y, and the number one question they're asking is, what's in it for me? And so this is not a new problem. And we just we have to stop believing that it is. So that we can increase our patience to take time to answer, hey, let me tell you what's in it for you. And let me tell you why you should give your life to this. And let me tell you why you were created, why you have breath in your lungs and your heart beats in your chest. It is for Jesus. That's powerful, JP. I love I love the way you frame that because uh, I agree, uh, you know, so often um, it's, it's easy to look at the next generation coming up and try to find a lot of faults um, because just we as humans, unfortunately, uh, human nature, we... We like to compare, and, and when we compare, we, we tend to like to think of ourselves better than, than probably we ought. So it's easy to, to look at faults of, of the next generation coming up. But I, I love how you'd frame that and, and kind of help us see, like, you know, that's the reality of any generation. Uh, you know, I, I, I certainly appreciate all that, that, you've, that you're currently doing, but really all that you've learned over the last, you know, over a decade now of ministering specifically to young adults and in being a part of their journey as they they've gone through this and and I love the fact that you've kind of distilled all those experiences um, into your newest book, Welcome to Adulting, and and um, uh, I, I can just say it's a powerful resource. As as I read through it, I was just thinking I've two kids, my two oldest, one's a 20 year old, one's a 21 year old. And I was, uh, I'm like, this book is getting into their hands because oh, it's, you, it's one of those, one of those books that's super practical. And just the way that you, that you communicate through the book is just a uh, very conversational and, and, uh, encouraging. It's, it's a hope filled book. And that's what I love about it. Right. Um, yeah. real quickly, uh, before we close, how can pastors or ministry leaders, um, who are listening in today, how can they connect with you and, um, 
and, and your, your team and kind of learn more about what you're doing when it comes to uh, developing these young leaders in, in the ministries that you're leading? Yeah, well, anybody can email me directly. The porch at watermark.org goes straight to me, the porch at watermark.org. Our website is theporch.live uh, or watermark.org. And, um, and, and I would love to serve you in any way I can. We, we have a, um, a, a conference coming up this Memorial Day called Awaken. And uh, that, that is, it's kind of a, a church planting conference. And so that's what we hope comes out of that is that churches are, are born across the country, really through young adults. And so excited to see that. But if I could be of service to anyone, uh, please email me at the porch at watermark.org. Awesome. Thank you so much, JP. I certainly appreciate you taking time to be with us and um, for doing the work that you're doing, brother. You are uh, you're doing some fantastic things in the kingdom, and we appreciate you sharing your experiences with us. So God bless you. Likewise, my man. This is a, a resource that has been beneficial to me through the years. Uh, church leaders, I, I love the, the emails and the articles and the, the interviews that you do. So, so thankful for your work. Keep going. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.